Welcome. <laughs> yeah, good start. I <laughs> said we keep that one. Yeah, let's. let's That's keep, a great okay. start. Yeah, let's, let's retry that. Friday. Take two. Welcome to History Class After Hours. I'm Joseph Farah. Joining me is Eli and Brian. Good morning. And we are wrapping up or continuing the discussion on the current uh, status of the Ukraine-Russian war. Um, last week, uh, when we left off last week, basically we we're talking about Kherson. I was initially taken by the Russians, but the Ukrainians have fully seized the city back. And now they have a gateway to Crimea. Crimea. It's a nice little land bridge. Yes. It's also the only way Crimeans are getting water right now. And most of the people, well, Crimeans, it's Russians and Ukrainians together. But it's really the only way that the people in Crimea can get water is through that land bridge because they blew up the other bridge. So, And most of the Russians have evacuated Crimea, correct? Well, they've evacuated Russians and Ukrainians. Oh. They were putting Ukrainians on planes, and they're like, we're all going to take you somewhere safe, and then landed them in Russia. They're, they're stealing Ukrainians. They are stealing, Ukrainians. stealing Ukrainians. The propaganda, though, is hilarious. The ones that they're giving out to Ukrainians are like, look at this pamphlet, look! And it's like, Ukrainians are coming to kill you. It's hilarious. <laughs> it's it's funny. So, uh, yeah, that land bridge is important. But most people say that uh, an invasion to take back Crimea would probably be extremely costly, in both terms of money and also human life. Correct, because that land bridge is narrow. Extremely. And it's just going to act like a funnel. Right. So the plans, I, nothing has really come out. They don't even know if they're going to do it or if they're just content with what they've taken back. Ambition shows that if you become a little ambitious, you tend to not do so well in terms of battle. <laughs> that that's the one thing that has been really impressive with the way Ukraine is conducting this war is the amount of restraint that they've oh. shown. Oh yeah. Where basically they 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 aren't going to just randomly attack you. They are going to set things up and when the time is right, then they're going to attack you. I mean, their counteroffensive didn't start until September and then once it started, it they just, moved fast. Mm -hmm. So and they said, last thing I read is they're anticipating another one coming soon because they can tell that they're starting to softening. They're softening up Russian targets and they're destroying all their ammunition once again. And they're just waiting for that ground to freeze. Oh, yeah. Once the ground freezes, Russian tanks are useless. They'll just slip and slide everywhere. So they're not prepared. Russia isn't prepared. So the Ukrainians have proven their resolve. Push back Russians. Reclaim most of the territory that was taken, including some that was taken earlier by Russia, like Donetsk. They were like, ah, we're taking this one back from you too. Um, and like we said, a possibility of an assault, or not assault, but retaking of Crimea, extremely costly. But also, it kind of puts Russia, I mean, it does put Russia completely out of Ukraine. Mm. And not only that, but other than Georgia, that's kind of it for Russia. That's the last holds they have holding on between the West and what Russia claims is theirs. Mm -hmm. So it would be interesting to see how that turns out for the rest of the year. You know, who knows what's going to happen, you know, in the next three weeks that we have left in 2022 going into 2023. Um, but that brings us into our next segment, which is support for Ukraine, because that has been a massive uh investment and from a lot of countries ever since february 24th you know you've seen the 
Ukrainians flag like flown mm. everywhere you go. You know, everyone changed their logo, like massive companies changed their logos to we support Ukraine. You know, it's a sign of good faith. And but the biggest thing has been the military support from NATO, because for NATO, this threatens their security. Ukraine is the that eastern shield that Russia can go through to get to the west. That uh, that is without like fully fighting NATO by going through the Baltic republics. Like that's it. It's a shield to Europe is what it is. So also, also there's the belief that if he took Ukraine, he would take the, he won't he won't stop there. He'd probably start with Moldova. Estonia and well he they were planning on Estonia too. This was some place they were really worried about, which is why they upgraded their enhanced Ford presence by the nice Englishman of the UK. But, um, you know, NATO or the North Atlantic Treaty Organization uh, supports Ukraine in a major way. Um, NATO has the claims that Russia threatens their international security and their alliance as a whole. That is a that they, they say that there is an oppressors that threaten these, you know, this alliance and that is why they support ukraine which kind of makes sense you know it's you have to have a unified you know statement of this is why we're doing this um it's actually interesting nato's top 10 supporting countries uh america the uk poland number three so that's kind of surprising germany canada norway estonia who has one of the smallest economies in nato is uh latvia france and italy they have given about $39 billion in aid in total. And that's just the top 10 of all, I think it's like 30 countries in NATO. So 29 because Turkey is not really, not Turkey, Hungary is kind of on the fence about everything that's going on right now. But that's a whole other story. Um, $39 billion in aid. Most of that, $25 billion of it came from America. But also America has the largest economy in NATO, as it should you know, be giving the most in terms of, you know, actual aid. In terms of GDP, Estonia has given the most at about 0.8% of its GDP in aid to Ukraine, which is, you know, just a cool little fact, you know. Estonia is kind of, they know what it's like to be under the Soviet mm. Union's rule. A lot of people still remember that. So Estonia joined NATO in 2004, and ever since then they've had multiple airspace violations Russia even kidnapped one of their border guards in a helicopter raid in like 2011. Like it, it, this is something that they're well versed in. Okay. Um, in the UK, the Royal government has decided, or they did decide and then also followed through with training Ukrainian troops with the help of um, the Dutch, French, and the Poles. They were like, we're going to train these troops for y'all to help you fight better you know it's people stepping up it's that mm. whole like burden sharing idea um france which is now the strongest power in the european union after brexit because that's a statement that you know most people... <laughs> right talk about an absolute dumpster <laughs> france is now the strongest power in europe <laughs> well the european the union the first time in my life <laughs> the pound is worth less than a dollar all you need to know yeah, right <laughs> right so <laughs> so france has given up a large part of their really good caesars which was their anti-air um they're like ASAMs, like America's ASAMs, and other anti-air defenses. Russia or France doesn't have a lot of these. 
I think France has like 62 Caesars or 72 Caesars, and they've given out like a third. Like it, they don't have a lot, but they're giving a lot is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, America, which has sent the largest amount of weapons in terms of money, has sent ASAMs, howitzers, self-propelled howitzers, tanks. Like we've sent a bunch, a bunch. And, uh, um, the game changer's been the I don't know what the acronym stands for. The High Mars. The High Mars. Yes. Which stand for anyone? Uh, anyone? It's probably somewhere in my anyone? atlas, but I'd have to find High it. High mobility artillery rocket system. Yes. They're like the square one yes. looking ones. They're amazing. They are causing all sorts of issues. They are really good at shooting down Russian airplanes. Destroying Russian ammunition depots. That too. <laughs> that too. Um, now, America still hasn't sent fighter jets. They are worried about the escalation from it. Mm-hmm. Now, which I, I mean, this kind of pulls us into our next part of this. Escalation is something that NATO has been worried about since the start. Because ever since February 24th, Putin has thrown, you know, like, if you cross this red line, I will nuke Ukraine. Or I will nuke you. Like, nuclear weapons has become part of a threat. Mm. Which he's not allowed to do as part of the Budapest memorandum. Russia is not allowed to just openly threaten to shoot nuclear weapons at people. They're just not. You're not allowed to do that today. Okay? The Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty... You're not allowed to just say, I'm going to nuke your country. That's not allowed globally. But he doesn't. So. I'm also thinking there's a good chance those don't work. <laughs> Explode on launch, maybe? They, uh, they are extremely expensive to maintain. Oh. And you basically have to change the fuel out on them like weekly and all that stuff. And I have a feeling that ain't getting done. <laughs> Probably not. Honestly, though, it's kind of like a, you know, uh, they have a lot. There's a, there's a lot of nuclear missiles in, well, there's a lot of nuclear weapons in in Russia. Yes. And four to 5,000 warheads. I think it's less than that. Is it less now? I think it's like around 1,800, actually. Really? Okay. Now, granted... There's only 200 nuclear weapons that are Americans in NATO countries. I mean, okay, I don't. It's the new B61 gravity bombs. You can. It's, it has a dial yield on it. You can change how powerful it is. So you can either drop it down to what Hiroshima was, or you can crank it up to 15 times more than Hiroshima. They're actually kind of, I don't understand the science behind it. I don't need to. I just know that they can be a big bomb. That's about it. So, but escalation has been a fear because of Russia going, I'm going to nuke Ukraine if you guys get involved. Got involved. Um, You know, NATO allies called the bluff have spent a lot of supplies, a lot of ammunition, a lot of military components. Um, There's also a, a logistical issue, though, with us giving them some things it's true they don't have there there is a significant difference between the soviet slash russian planes that they're using and our planes their pilots aren't trained to use our equipment also they don't have the facilities to maintain our planes our our planes russian planes are notorious for being extremely easy to maintain but they don't have all the bells and whistles 
Ours has all the bells and whistles, but they're extremely hard to maintain because they have all the bells and the whistles. Bells and whistles. The that, Su- that, that plays yeah. in all this. Now, Russia's Sukhoi 35s are <clears throat> they're they're a little more high tech than than like what Ukraine is flying in. The Sukhois are kind of nice looking. You know, they they have some of the bells and whistles, mm-hmm. but they're getting shot down pretty so, fast. So the play, from what it sounds like, is we're going to NATO countries that have old Soviet planes, and we're like, give these to Ukraine, and we'll give you some of our stuff that we don't use anymore. Like, like Poland. Yes, like old F-16s. Yes. And then here, buy some F-35s. Poland actually did buy some F-35s. A couple of them, actually. Which, you know, a couple of Polish fighter pilots flying around at whatever mock those things go. It's pretty nice. So, but, you know, <clears throat> the... The fear is that Russia, Mr. Putin, uses these nuclear weapons. Now, a very interesting thing, there was an article that came out from some former NATO general or whatever. I don't know who his name. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. He walked this guy on a podcast through. He walked him through what a response if Russia was like, we're going to nuke Ukraine. If they did, what that would look like. It is crazy how much he thought about this. Like, how how in-depth that this could happen. It was like... Obviously, be a strong response, um, obviously. And NATO would definitely get involved at that point. But um, it would probably consist of a nuclear response from NATO. And it would probably be where the nuclear missile was launched from in Russia would get shot by one of the many nuclear submarines that are just floating around in the world that we don't know really where they are, but they're there. Um, So a nuclear response from NATO, eradication of forces, of Russian forces in Ukraine, um, followed by massive cyber attacks on Russian infrastructure, banks, you know, those kind of things. And then ending with, um, it would probably be ending with the destruction of the Kremlin and the ending of Mr. Putin's regime in Russia. Like, that's how this would end. So the response is this escalation could happen very fast. Mm. But also, there's been no response from nato like going past what we say oh you know don't do that and then we do it it you know we're just gonna keep going until we see something actually happen so there's been no change in the nuclear posture of what russia has now we joke about a little we've joked about how russia has made some mistakes but they've made a lot of mistakes the whole thing's been a mistake. Oh, yeah, obvious. I mean, that's literally the first point. The biggest mistake is invading Ukraine on February 24th. Correct. Okay. Now, earlier you talked about, I guess last week you talked about um, the power plant where they like to just lob shells in there. That was actually a very big concern. Um, the, Interta- the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, which was run by the United Nations, was in Ukraine it took a little convincing from Russia to like get Russia to let them do it. But they got to the power plant and they were like, it's on like two backup generators. Like that's it. And then the backup generators got hit and they're like, we have to fix this now or we're going to have a nuclear meltdown with Europe's largest Mm -hmm. nuclear power plant, which is kind of a scary thought to think about that. That's how part of Russia would turn into again, you know, another Chernobyl, incident but like four times worse yeah funny story about Chernobyl. <laughs> i don't okay, are no, there... no, no, 
Are there funny stories? This, like... one, this one's kind of comical. Okay. Well, I didn't. Okay. Well. So so early on in the in the war, the, oh, the, the, Rus- the Russians seized Chernobyl. Right. All right. The problem was the maps that they gave to the Russian soldiers were from like the seventies. <laughs> And also, most of the Russians never heard of Chernobyl, so they sent a they built a camp in the Red Forest, which is considered to be the most radioactive, <laughs> contaminated place on Earth. And they all like got radiation poisoning and had to be evacuated. And that was the last I heard of it. They had to bring in like buses from Belarus to just evacuate these people. They were digging trenches where they buried all the radioactive material. Because they didn't know where they were, and they didn't know it existed. Well, they hit Chernobyl with some shells too. And they <laughs> they almost, stole a bunch of stuff. They almost compromised that little, you know, concrete mm-hmm. bubble that they <laughs> built around it to contain it. You know how bad that is if you expose that again. Yeah, you know, that was the problem the first time. So anyway, um, good news is is that you know Ukraine moved into Zaporozhye. They've kind of stopped this whole thing from actually unfolding, like you know Zaporozhye melting down. Um, the IAEA was very concerned about it, actually. And um, they handed out iodine pills to the Ukrainians. Yeah, they said, maybe we should um, not let you get radiation poisoning like so many people did in Chernobyl because the government tried covering it up. Yes. Well, tried. They kind of did for the people in the Soviet Union. Um, on a slightly less... Uh, Mm, comical note war crimes are prevalent very prevalent um so ukraine has uncovered at least four or five mass graves in these cities that they're taking back there's probably more but what's happening is that when russia retreats they are executing citizens and it's i mean it's really bad Mm -hmm. it's very bad um according to the bbc uh, Russia, they say, they claim Russia have has committed around 400 war crimes already. I bet it's higher than that. I, it's definitely higher than that. Um, the biggest problem with this is that Russia has long-time allies. I mean, other than the fact that it's a war crime. Russia has long-time, they're long-time allies with China and India. Um, India has now openly turned on Russia. <clears throat> India, <clears throat> excuse me. India not only was like, I cannot support Russia anymore, Mr. the Prime Minister Modi, he also called the United Nations Security Council to investigate Russia for war crimes. I don't know how that works when, you know, it's the founding member, because like, you know, there's definitely war crimes, there's definitely like human rights violations in China too. And what can the UN Security Council really do about two of its permanent members, you know? committing war atrocities mm. and human rights violations like how do you how do you fix that system but you know that's another whole another thing that's a problem with the UN that like there was actually talk i don't know if it's been if they've gone forward with it that the UN security council russia's permanent seat isn't technically theirs that there's a loophole or within the legality of the document, it, the seat belongs to the Soviet Union that no longer exists. So technically, so technically the seat should not be Russia's. It could be somebody and else. I, I remember reading this and there were some people that were actually going to try to bring that to the world courts. 
I mean, that's not a, a that makes sense because when it was created, you know, it would have fallen under the Soviet mm-hmm. Union, but the Soviet Union no longer, no longer exists. It's a very interesting loophole to have. Interesting. Hmm. So, um, also, you know, China, who is a ally with no limits for Russia, has found its limits. Um, well, on top of war crimes, which that doesn't really seem to be as much of an issue for China. They're not like, oh, we can look past. Like, they, they believe they can look past that. Their problem is that Russia's losing the war. They don't like losers. They don't. Uh, but if without Russia, China's kind of by themselves then. They've got North Korea. So, you know, that little, that little, <laughs> right. So, um, the other major mistake comes internally. Russia is losing people fast. So, you know, Russia called for, Putin called for 300,000 new reserves. In turn, he got about 230,000. But he also got 300,000 leaving Russia. It's like 360,000 people left Russia right after he called for these new reserves. And it's what they call in human geography terms, brain drain, because a lot of those were the... It's about 60,000 of them were IT specialists, yeah. doctors. You know, the people who had passports that could make it to the EU did. Uh, for the rest of them, they ended up in Georgia, Armenia, the Stans, you know, everywhere they could that wasn't Russia. Uh, Google saw like a spike of like 120% of like plane tickets out. Or like how to escape Russia. Like I love like that search <laughs> term was like a spike on it. It was like how to escape Russia. <laughs> the second most one was like how do I shoot myself in the foot without dying? <laughs> Plane tickets. Like one of those. Plane tickets sold out in eight minutes. And every airline sold out in eight minutes. Um, so yeah, brain drain. Major brain drain. Brain drain. Not to mention the fact that like we talked about last week, using your prisoners for your conscripts. You can't throw somebody in prison for speaking out against the war and then force them to fight in the war that they were speaking out against. Mm-hmm. It doesn't end well. So, um, now granted, this war does affect the world pretty rough. Um, we're going to kind of go fast through here, but uh, the biggest one being the grain exports out of Ukraine. Russia kind of had this deal with Ukraine that they're like, oh, yeah, we'll I'll let you export your grain. Then on October 29th, they were like, actually, no, we're suspending that. Two days later, on the 31st, Turkey, the UN, and Ukraine exported a bunch of grain out. However, it's not as much as what Ukraine normally exports. Mm. Ukraine is the top exporter of grain to the world. And the fear is, is that unstable countries who, who, who rely on the supplies of this grain to feed their people, then turn the people will turn on the country. Um, this is just four places, but Afghanistan, Nigeria, Chad, and Sri Lanka are all major areas right now where the governments who control these exports and these imports are, do not have enough food. Like in Afghanistan, I think it's the, is it the Taliban? The, the Afghan farmers cannot produce enough. And the they Taliban who controls the area, who controls these areas in Afghanistan are starting to see pushback from the people who cannot get fed. They also, I mean, they had food supply issues already prior to this in Afghanistan. Right. right. So this makes it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot worse, actually. So it's threatening the global food market, which if you've ever read a history book, you don't mess with people's food True. because people get mad. French Revolution, they didn't have bread. They killed everybody. Like, 
there was more to it than that, I know. Just go back, listen to our French Revolution episode if you right. want to learn more. But, bread. So, the deal, though, is very fragile. It's very likely it could change. Um, another issue that has come out of it is the energy crisis that hit Europe. Uh, Germany and France this last year spent more money on energy than they did on international defense for the first time in a long time because most of their imported energy came from Russia. Oil, natural gas coming out of Russia through the Nord Stream pipelines across, you know, into the European Union. When the war broke out, ties were cut. And officially, you know, the Nord Stream pipeline is no longer there because it was blown up by somebody, probably Russia, probably. So France and Germany's governments were worried there for a little bit that they would have to pull out their support because, you know, politicians are more open to protecting their internal citizens to keep their places than to protect an external country and lose their positions. But the EU did make some policy changes. You know, right now they're okay. Gas prices are a little high, but it's... Oh, you had some nuclear power plants you could turn <laughs> For France, France has a little issues with that. Okay. So there are many questions that have been unanswered about the war. There will still be many questions that aren't answered about the war. Um, you know, Russia loses or is losing the global power. It's the global balance of power is shifting. You know, it's you're seeing a major power that's there, has been there for a long time, kind of start to lose its grasp, like its grasp on its areas. Um, you know, food shortages causing instability globally. Like, how is that going to affect in these regions? What's going to happen to the Taliban's got like the strong hold on the government? You know, Sri Lanka. Nigeria, Chad, like those major places. What happens there because of food insecurity? Also, if you have some of these governments that are propped up by the Russians, mm -hmm. and they aren't able to prop them up anymore. Like Iran. Venezuela. Venezuela. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there, was, there, there was several pieces that came out that said the Russian government is now starting to buy up real estate in Venezuela. Or basically a place for Putin to exile. Nice. And then I brought that up in one of my uh, that day when I read that, a kid student in my, one of my classes was like, did you hear about the Iranian government? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, they're buying a bunch of real estate up in Venezuela for the government to go in exile. I'm like, are you talking about the Russian government? He's like, no, the Iranian government. And he was right. They're, they're both like, making the same so grab. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you want to get away, you go to Venezuela. So... Is, but they're both making the same grab for it because both countries are not in a good place right now. Correct. So, um, you know, energy crisis, what that looks like. The U.S. is looking at a new infrastructure aid package to in, in the high billions for Ukraine to see if, you know, the rebuilding process. The fear, of course, is that there is corruption in Ukraine's government. Um, it, it happens. There's corruption in a lot of governments. There's corruption in every government. Right. So, um you know, for Russia, people's dissent is at an all-time high. Like, Russia hasn't seen this many protests in a long time. Mm -hmm. People cheered when they took over Georgia in three days or whatever. Now they're like, 10 months later, why are we still doing this? So trusted oligarchs are starting to leave. Fascism is... Or fall out of windows. Uh, that too. Fascism is starting to lose its hold on the Russian people and... Some fear though that the next Russian leader could be even more unstable than Mr. Putin, which I can't imagine, but it's possible. So 
health wise, he may be in issue. Have yeah, it's have true. Issues. His health is pretty rough right yes. now. Um, they said there's three or four body doubles for him, and there's a lot of people that think a lot of these public appearances have been his body doubles. Imagine being a body double for Vladimir Putin. Putin. Imagine being so ugly that you could be a body double for Vladimir they think, Putin. They think he's got Parkinson's and advanced stages of colon cancer or that's, pancreatic cancer. Those are both. That's rough. Yes. And there's evidence to support at least the Parkinson's because if you watch a lot of his interviews, he's, he's got the, he, he, his hand is shaking yeah. a lot. Yeah. So currently Ukraine is winning. Russia is leaving behind ammo at every retreat. Ammo depots are getting destroyed. You know who the biggest supplier of the Ukrainian army is? The Russians. The Russian army. Yep. Um, <laughs> They're publicly being beaten on a global stage, which is something they haven't seen since the Cold War. <laughs> and uh, their economy, their GDP has dropped bad. by about ten to fifteen percent. And with the end of the war fast approaching, does that also mean the end of Russia, government, and how they stand globally? Um, you know, that's kind of it for right now. That's uh, ten months of war summed up into an hour. But <laughs> you know, the, the, the war is. Ten months longer than they anticipated. Ten months longer than anybody anticipated. Yes. So, there it is. I remember on the first episode we did, me specifically saying, now Grant, I'm no military expert. I'm just an amateur military historian saying that I see Kiev falling in two weeks and they, they fall back to Liev and that's where they basically set up a line of defense. Mm -hmm. Surprise. Surprise. Ten months later. We're going the other direction. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to History Class After Hours, the show where we talk about the things your history teachers didn't have time to teach you. If you wanted to stay updated on upcoming events for the History Club, please visit www.starsmillhistoryc.wixsite.com forward slash 2020. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel on iTunes Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be on the lookout for new episodes, and we'll be posting every week. Until next time, stay curious.